Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Martin Pierce, and welcome to this latest Policy Forum pod. The Australian Higher Education Contribution Scheme, or HEX for short, was set up in 1989. It aims to give people the opportunity to access education but repay the cost of that education only once they hit a particular earnings threshold. It's set at around $54,000 per year at the moment. It was a landmark piece of public policy and it's been very successful. But in the last couple of weeks, HEX has been hitting the news for all of the wrong reasons. A report from the Australian Parliamentary Budget Office predicted that the total value of the program was likely to blow out over the next decade from $60 billion currently to $185 billion by 2026. And the actual cost of the budget was going to go from $1.7 billion now to $11.1 billion by 2026. That's a 560% increase. I'm joined today by two people who know a lot about the HEX scheme. Associate Professor Tim Higgins is with the ANU College of Business and Economics, and Professor Bruce Chapman is with both the ANU College of Business and Economics and Crawford School of Public Policy. Bruce, incidentally, is the architect of the HEX game. Bruce, Tim, thanks for joining us today. Hello. Hello, Martin. Perhaps, Bruce, if we can start off with you, do those numbers suggest that the HEX help scheme is broken? Should we be worried? No, we shouldn't be worried. I mean, one of the critical points here is that the Parliamentary Budget Office is required by legislation to produce estimates of budget costs and, and, and revenues on the basis of what is planned policy and not what is, what is legislated policy and the planned policy at the moment which start to get publicity from the budget of 2014-15, is one in which outlays to the uh, sector would be cut by 20% and most importantly for the PBO, the the Budget Office's calculations, that the institutions would have complete price discretion, that is they'd be allowed to charge whatever they like. So that did not pass the Senate. I don't think it's credible to believe that complete price discretion is likely in the medium and certainly not the short run. But the, but the office had to put some assumptions in and what they assumed was that prices would go up by 40%. Now that's extremely important to understand that most of these projections are driven by that and all in the context of a 20% cut in outlays. So once you put 40% increase in the fee, then the debts would go up by at least that amount and they become increasingly large and increasingly reflective of a greater proportion of people with the 40% increase, not just the current stock. So those numbers can go up very, very high. And that means that the estimate of what doesn't get paid, that it's called the doubtful debt, will go up commensurately, even if the proportions don't. But uh, the other aspect of this is the interest rate subsidy. And of course, that should be there. But this is driven hugely also by the extent of the price increase money because people take a lot longer to repay. So there should be no surprise in these data, but there should also be no panic because this is not the reality. 
it's a fa- it's basically kind of a budget fantasy. It's not the fault of the PBO. They've done everything exactly as they're expected to. But those assumptions are not the way the world will be. And uh, I think that the system is kind of working fine and we shouldn't draw any panic conclusions from what's out there. Tim, what's your take on this? Do you think, looking over these numbers, that the HEX scheme is in some sort of trouble? Should we be worried? Bruce clearly thinks that, that we shouldn't be. No, I don't think we should be worried either, um, mainly because, uh, again, this is proposed policy, not legislated policy. Um, the the other point on that is uh, that there's two aspects of costs that we're dealing with. There's HEX costs or HELP costs, which refer to the doubtful debt and the interest subsidy that Bruce has spoken about. But there's also direct subsidies. There's also the direct... Uh, contribution that government makes to higher education. Uh, What the PBO reports is how HEX costs are going to go up. What it doesn't report is how uh, direct contributions uh, or direct subsidies will go down, and they will go down by 20%. So it could be that the net position for taxpayers is close to zero as a consequence of deregulation. On the other hand, it could be that the uh, costs associated associated with help uh, far exceed the reduction in the direct subsidies. Um, and, and that's uh, one thing that the help that, that the PBO report kind of hints at. It, it hints that the uh, costs associated with deregulation will increase help uh, costs to a point that might even uh, outweigh uh, the the reduction in taxpayer subsidies. This happened in the UK. Uh, in the UK, they increased uh, fees from around £3,300 to around £9,000 per annum. Uh, and as a consequence, HEX debt, or the equivalent to their HEX, uh, costs went up 40% or thereabouts. Um, and modelling by the Institute for Fiscal Studies has shown that the increase in income contingent loan costs associated with uh, the higher loan prices uh, would more than offset the reduction in direct subsidies that the UK uh, has moved to as well. So although the UK was trying to shift costs to the individual student, the net position to the taxpayer might actually be worse than it was under the original scheme. Uh, I see. So th- there's an element of sort of economic swings and roundabouts to to all of this. I that's mean, right. Uh, this is being talked about in terms of something that will be approached in the Australian budget, which comes up in a couple of weeks' time. And one of the ideas being mooted is that the threshold wherein which people actually start paying back their hex debt will be lowered. I think it's sort of a 54000 at the moment. If you own over 50000 you start paying it back. And the discussion is whether you bring that down to a sort of 40000 mm. Tim, does that sound like a sensible policy idea? I think it should certainly be looked at. Uh, Bruce and I have spoken about this in the past, and the, the current threshold seems to be quite high, but uh, moreover, the uh, repayment rate that individuals have to pay when they reach that threshold is quite high. If there is going to be a reduction in the threshold down to 
forty, forty-two thousand dollars, as some have been speculating, then I think it is, it's important if the repayment rate, the the amount that an individual has to pay if they reach that threshold, is also a lot lower than uh, it currently is. Uh, only then would those repayments be affordable. One of one of the reasons to consider a, a reduction in the threshold is at at the margins, at, at the point where that threshold kicks in, uh, you get bunching. You, you get bunching uh, and individuals potentially uh, intentionally reporting uh, incomes below what they're actually genuinely earning in order to avoid repaying. Just to clarify, what exactly do you mean by bunching? So you get a lot of individuals just below that repayment threshold reporting incomes. So you get this like spike in incomes below the fifty-three dollars or $54,000, uh, which, which suggests that there's individuals intentionally reporting less than that minimum threshold in order to avoid repaying. Now, there's increasing evidence that that's an economically material uh, effect. Uh, one way to, to, to reduce that effect is to... Uh, charge a lower threshold and a lower repayment rate. Bruce, what's your take on that? Well, you can actually... What's going on here is that people are able to um, have a certain amount of tax deductions and they'll take um, they'll take them into account if it's desirable to do so. And if you can get under that threshold with the tax deductions, that will allow you to do it. And it is a bit, as Tim said, there is bunching. We know that's happening. We also think that the year after, basically, people... It's not in their interest to keep on doing this and keep on saying we don't want the promotion after all, we just want to avoid paying this. But most of them come back. But there is that crunch point that could be sorted out. But I think Tim's point about decreasing the rate of repayment is really important, that at four, you don't want the 4% to start coming in at 44000 or whatever. You could have that at 2%. So the critical point about HEX is it's there for fairness. It's there to protect people who don't do well. And at forty four, forty five, they're not doing well. But the other, but so the rate of repayment must be lower. And the other consequence of that, as Tim has modelled very effectively, is that it allows the system to be viable across the whole tertiary education system, because people with associate diplomas and diplomas um, from TAFE or from the VET system, they can be covered easily if you cut that threshold slightly. But again, it should be done gently. But it does make the system more progressive and available for all, and I think that's pretty desirable. Yeah. Just going on with Bruce's point, uh, currently VET fee help covers uh, associate diplomas and diplomas, but it doesn't cover Certificate 3. Uh, and there's hundreds of thousands, literally close to a million people, trying to do those qualifications. And there's important qualifications within Certificate 3, such as childcare and aged care workers and so on. Uh, at the moment... Vet fee help isn't available to them, uh, and so they face upfront costs. Uh, and as a consequence, there's evidence. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
that that's distorting the choices that some people make in the market. And uh, as a consequence, people are choosing to do degrees and diplomas and so on that, uh, that are covered by vet fee help. Uh, so if, if we are going to extend vet fee help into those lower vet qualifications, as Bruce and I think we should, uh, then there is the affordability issue. The average vet student and vet graduate doesn't earn close to what the average university graduate earns. Uh, and the question then is, what is a sensible repayment threshold uh, for vet graduates? Uh, currently, based on their income, uh, or based on the average income for a vet graduate, 40 to 50% of debt will not be repaid. Uh, and I think by most people's reckoning, that's probably unaffordable for the taxpayer. Those are pretty significant numbers. I mean, obviously, with it being front and centre in the in, in the media's thoughts and uh, uh, with it likely to feature in the upcoming budget, there's an op- opportunity here for policymakers to tweak and reshape the HEX help scheme. Perhaps, Bruce, if we start off with you, in an ideal world, what sort of changes would you like to see to the scheme, or does it need to change at all? I think your word tweak is the right word. There are changes that can be done at the margin. I mean, this system is not broken. It's not even in trouble. But uh, as you might have implied from um, the PBO's calculations, which has said it's not their fault, they had to they had to do it. But I think cutting that first threshold bound down maybe 45,000 but also the rate of repayment that's important the government has instituted policy changes to get some of the debt back from people who've gone overseas I think that's a really progressive and and significant thing to 25 26 years nothing happened and Tim and I have calculated that that's been an overall cost of something like 800 million perhaps even more over 25 years and it basically it's extremely inequitable so they're, they're progressive and important changes, but the more radical ideas out there, which I think are, we don't, don't really need to think about, like making the basis of repayment household income, that is so complicated, I wouldn't go near that one. If we thought the system was really in trouble, then you'd want to do something radical, but it really is not. And one of the ideas that frequently gets bandied around in the world of Help is the idea of uh, recovering... Uh, from the from deceased estates is mm. that something that you would like to see go ahead is that something that uh, is equitable and sensible that was recommended was suggested to john dawkins at the time all those years ago and it was taken off the table extremely quickly because he said what do you mean introduce the death duties like don't you people know anything about politics so the politics will be profound on that But I also think we don't really know what would happen to people's reallocation of their assets. So if I had a hex debt and I was a bit crook, I thought, well, I don't want that taken out of my estate. I might just transfer wealth right now. And so until that's modelled properly, I don't think we've got much of a handle on this. But my guess is is there's not not going to be a a very productive way to go. Mm. I I think uh, related to that is the question... Uh, the question is help as it currently stands unaffordable are the costs too high uh, and i don't i personally i don't think there's evidence that the costs are too high again the pbo report is reporting high costs under the assumption that deregulation occurs uh, well by all accounts deregulation is not going to occur or should not occur uh, and uh, i suspect the 
projections of help outlays will be consistent with what they've been in the past. Uh, and by all accounts, it's been afford- uh, affordable in the past, uh, and I think it'll remain affordable. And I'll just take up that point about the existence of cost. That's not a big deal. This system was designed to cost taxpayers a bit, and you know, around 20% we can kind of live with. Think about what this system is. It takes away upfront costs for participation, and it says to people, if you don't do well in the labour market, it's covered. And so it was always anticipated and expected that some figure, maybe 20%, would not be repaid. And it shouldn't be seen as a default. It shouldn't even be seen as kind of a taxpayer cost. It's basically a feature, a necessary feature of the system. The other thing to to point out is that this is an investment in education for the country. uh, And although it's very, very difficult to to measure those public externalities, the public benefits from higher education, all attempts to do so have suggested that it's a very, very good investment of taxpayer money. Bruce, I'd like to finish off, if I could, by just getting you to imagine um, a world without hex help. Where would we be now? What would that mean to Australia and Australians? And what what alternative systems are there in in place for uh, helping people through higher education? The system that HECS replaced was a system of so-called free education. There were no charges, and that was seen to be pretty regressive, so long as you could have a system that actually fixed up the access issues. And so if we stayed where we had been and did not charge, my guess, my fairly confident guess, is that there would have been nowhere near the expansion we've seen in the system. And I know, I mean, I was there when John Dawkins got this through Parliament and basically it allowed the government at the time to increase outlays by 16% straight away to make the system bigger. So I think that the system has been bigger because of the revenue, but there might have been another type of system rather than an income contingent loan. We could have had the US system. You need financing intervention here because the banks won't help because it's too risky. So we could have had an American system where the banks are involved but with government guarantees. The problem with that is that people will be repaying on the basis of time and not necessarily their capacity to pay. And what this means is repayment hardships and difficulties for people at the bottom ends of the graduate income distribution and, moreover, defaults. And defaults are a big deal. They ruin people's credit reputations and uh, we can avoid all that because we've got contingent debt. Tim, anything to add to that? What has HexHelp contributed to Australia? Well, I think uh, part of the measure of success of HexHelp... Well, two points to make. One, uh, the Australian HEX system has been seen as a model of success to many other countries around the world, New Zealand, the UK, and so on. Uh, and uh, I think that says a lot to, uh, to, to the, the, the worth of the policy. Well, one of the things that Tim did, he's too modest to say this, but he did a PhD <laughs> on extending contingent loans in other areas and how you model that in particular for paid parental leave. So one of the benefits of this of the system was that it kind of is a template for other economic and social reform policy, um, including the, Tim's work, but there are other possibilities out there as well. And we kind of get that now, and we didn't get it before. It's fine. Well, I, I think the only other point to make is, is we're really at a critical juncture. Um, the election is not far away. Uh, Minister Birmingham has announced very recently that 
uh, I think it was only yesterday, that uh, that there will be more announcements about the proposed new higher education policy before the election. Uh, as far as we're aware, deregulation is still a potential policy. Uh, so I think it is important to, to again, emphasise what the PBO report shows, and that is that uh, under the proposed reforms, help costs uh, will be very, very high. And I think it does potentially jeopardise the sustainability of the help system if deregulation proceeded. We've seen uh, problems in, in other countries with high uh, student fees. Uh, and when HECS was designed all those years ago, it was done under the premise that there were fee caps. Uh, I think uh, its success has been based on the retention of those fee caps. So does that mean, Tim, that, that um, is that likely to explain to the government's calculations? Does that mean that looking at the, those PBO figures, they are likely to say, oh, hang on, maybe deregulation shouldn't proceed or it shouldn't proceed in the same sort of model, the same sort of rate? Well, we hope that, that that's what's going to happen. Uh, a lot of the media headlines have been, HEX is unaffordable, let's change HEX. Well, the easy solution is don't change HEX, don't deregulate. I mean, on the other hand, one possible scenario I thought two years ago, I don't think it's likely now, but if the institutions were given price discretion, my guess, probably our guess, is that it wouldn't be too long before the fee increases would be much higher than the 40%. And uh, down the track, that would have been very tempting for a government to make the cuts bigger than 20, make them 40, see what happens and change the whole nature of the subsidies and the whole engagement of the public sector in that system. And one of the critical points is that once these debts get really, really big, you can't collect them easily and comprehensively because people don't live to be 180. If we can change that, we're, we're doing better. <laughs> Let's see if that day comes soon. Um, thanks very much for your time, Tim Higgins and Bruce Chapman. Thank you. Thanks. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest analysis, debate and discussion on the region's public policy challenges at policyforum.net. Also keep in touch with us on social media. We're at Apps Policy Forum on Twitter and we're Asia Pacific Policy Society on Facebook. Until next time, cheerio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.